We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> you talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. And today, we'll be adding our third star, Matt Brooks. Fellas, how are we doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to be the TLC of this podcast. A joke <laughs> I definitely didn't make in the pre-production of this. Never made that joke before. Uh, no, I'm excited to be to be a part of this. I'll be here, you know, as much as I possibly humanly can be. So I'm excited to be, to be contributing on this. I'm already here quite a bit. You guys are very generous to... Let me lend my sometimes uh, good thoughts on the net, sometimes bad. <laughs> so uh, I'm excited to make this official and and continue to collaborate with you guys. Yeah, I'm going to be ripping into you for your Tyler Johnson thoughts, Matt. That's what this whole episode's <laughs> about, my guy. Now, nah, I'm really, really, I'm, I'm absolutely elated to have my guy, Matt Brooks, joining the buzz. I know that the, the net's speculation about getting a third star is has been rife since goddamn last year, but uh, we've got ours, so that's what matters. Yeah, I mean, super hyped to have Matt on. Obviously, one of the best, you know, people you can follow on Nets Twitter. Also, a great writer, which you can find his work on Nets Daily. And it feels like after today's game, this might go from like a podcast to support group because the Nets are re- really struggling. You know, they lost to the Magic 128-118. The score looks a lot nicer. But before we get into it, quick reminder, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, OTGBasketball.com, NetsBlog.com, and Blue Wire Pods. This episode is presented by DealDash.com. But, fellas, just initial reaction to essentially what was a massacre obviously you know this the bench players came in later on to clean up the score but what were your thoughts on this one 
Oh boy. Uh, but where do I start? I so first off, like so nice to have basketball back. Like even though it wasn't necessarily aesthetically the best thing to watch <laughs> at all points, um, it just felt nice to like you know feel like my it, we're not just throwing opinions out about practice games and stuff like yeah. that. Like I was like, this is really meaningful, and I'm allowed to have a takeaway, even if it isn't right in the long term. I, I do feel like at least I can feel good about <laughs> having a strong reaction to something. So. Look, immediate takeaways. Um, I thought the offense flowed nicely. I liked the balanced shot chart that they were running out there. Kara shooting from the mid-range is uh, something I've liked since forever. Uh, defensively, we talked a lot about this a second ago uh, before we got on here. Uh, let me just say, it wasn't a lot to take away from there. Um, transition D was a mess, and I don't feel like they put Vaughn put their players in the most advantageous positions. I know we can go off on that a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, what do we... Waking up at 4.30 a.m. Uh, I'm certainly going to be picking and choosing going forward these early Nets games. Let's put it that <laughs> way. But, uh, I mean, I'm, I'll always be up for these Nets. Uh, you know, rain, hail, or shine. But, you know, I said the Nets will go 7-1, and one, so now we're winning every <laughs> other game. Uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, that has to happen now going forward. Yeah, I, I echo the sentiments of Matt. You know, the... The offense was crispy as heck early on, especially. It was entertaining. You know, 75 points scored between both teams in that first quarter. You know, everything was flowing. Um, but then, you know, the, the the offense outside of everything just fell off a cliff in the, in the second and third quarters. You know, the, the, the schemes on both sides of the floor. Uh, as soon as Levert got blitzed, as Jacques Vaughn said in the post game, that's when things started to change. And um, he didn't really make many adjustments. But then at the same time, we don't really have the talents to support Carol Savert when those adjustments <laughs> yeah. were made. So uh, I assume that every other team that we come up against is going to be blitzing Carol Savert heavily, and Jacques Vaughn's going to have to do his homework to figure that out. Yeah, I mean, you guys pretty much nailed it. Obviously, they started the game with some nice juice. Offensively, got things cooking. Even in the second quarter, not you know terrible offensively. Defense, not great. And then everything just pretty much got worse. And like you mentioned, Jack, soon as Orlando forced a ball out of Levert's hand, it just put pressure on so many other nets to either create or make open shots, and they just couldn't do it. And that's just probably going to be a problem. And like we talked about before the show, the nets just don't have a ton of NBA-level players, or at least proven NBA players, and it's going to be really tough for them to match up against teams. And it's not like Orlando is this great team. They're a team that's in the seventh spot right now. They just have eight good NBA players or, you know, eight average NBA players. And the Nets can't say that. Yeah. I, so here's the thing. Like, it's going to be so hard to get a feel like a lot of this. OK, so we had to think about it. A lot of people put this as like auditions for certain players. Yeah. It's also an audition for Coach Vaughn. And mm. I think it's going to be really tricky to separate what he's doing well and what he's not doing well because of the cast around him. I actually was surprised. I thought that I had pretty severe, evalu not severe, but strong evaluations of what he was good at and not good at today. I don't know if you guys felt that, but I, it, I, it was a little easier to discern today. I don't know if that'll remain. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying, Matt, because it's, you know, we sort of spoke about on previous buzzes in the sense that, you know, is Carlos Avert going to be the key to Jacques Vaughn getting the, the coaching gig or not? And it's hard to sort of say what he does schematically when you have such a, uh, you know, a, a real low level amount of talent on the roster, you know, outside of the Washington Wizards. The Brooklyn Nets are the weakest team by far in this 22 team Orlando campus bubble, whatever you want to call it. So 
it's hard. Ha, ha, what is he going to do with a guy who can't create his own offense and just passes the ball consistently like Chris Chioza? What is he going to do uh, with guys like Garrett Temple when they're not shooting the ball well? Um, and, and when it happens for TLC, you know, obviously he had a really good game. We'll get into the players in a little bit. But, you know, I think that he needs to be... A, we said this about Kenny, and we actually highlighted this as a positive in some of the scrimmages when we were recapping those ones that, you know, we thought Jacques Vaughan was just letting the guy sort of have a bit more freedom and not overcoaching them. Now he has, now is when he started, he's going to be earning that coaching gig if he does get it. He needs to make adjustments. He needs to be creative. And, you know, he's, it's going to have to be in rotations. It's going to have to be in X's and O's. Um, and it's going to take... Uh, you know, probably the assistants chipping in too. It's going to take a lot of homework from a lot of the guys because uh, we don't have the talent and we need to make up for that with some probably high-level coaching. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be an uphill battle like you guys mentioned, but I think we'll get a better feel as, you know, guys get more conditioned too and like who's available to him with Dante Hall and Jamal Crawford and things along those lines. What did you guys think about uh, uh, Lance Thomas getting the start over TLC? <laughs> uh I think he's still playing his way back into shape. I'll leave it at that. He I, looks I, slow. He, my goodness. Like, my goodness. That is, that has got to be one of the slowest players I've seen in a while. And I, I like, and like, I think he, I mean, we've seen it in the past. He's, he's played strong defense in New York, but that was two years ago. And like, you know, he's, he's a big guy. He's, he's got a lot of, uh, he's just got a bigger frame. So when it starts to go the other way in terms of foot speed with a guy like that, I mean, I don't know. I'm. I hate to be like out already, but I'm. I'm pretty out. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, who would have thought that the Nets have problems at the power forward position? Crazy. Who would have thought? Um, you know, TLC. If he plays like he did today, then you maybe start him. I mean, we could certainly talk about rotations for days and days and then. I think all of us probably want Rodion's courts in that starting lineup with the way that he's been sort of performing lately. He seems to be quite confident um, in, in the way that he's playing at that backup five position uh, for a lot of the game too. So I personally would prefer Rodion's courts. I want the best five players to be starting. And Rodion's courts is one of our best five players. And he's probably the best wing, big-ish guy outside of Jared Allen that we have right now, especially with the form that he has. You know, he's looking good. He's looking in rhythm. The three ball's looking nice. He's making good decisions. He's being, you know, pesky. He's growing that intelligence and that experience. So, uh, yeah, give me some some roadie action at the four. Can, yeah, I, can I, mean, I say one thing oh, about ahead, the roadie thing? Uh, I'm, I'll make this quick. I know I'm, I'm cutting in right here. Uh, I So he, it's weird. The roadie thing is I like him. I don't love him at the five. Like, you saw Ken Birch scoring on him, I think, in the yeah, second quarter. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, all right, well, that's Ken not great. Ken Birch, bro. Like... I know. Like, so defensively, it's not great. Offensively, though, I do. I awesome. Kinda, yeah, it's it's sweet because the nice yeah. part about that is that, you know, when, when he's playing the four, A, he's going to be shooting a lot. But if he's run off the three-point line and he goes to the rim because he goes to the rim every every single time, he doesn't have much of an in-between game. Um the issue with him playing next to somebody like Jared Allen is because Jared Allen really only stays in that dunker spot, a secondary offender or defender on the other team only has to take a couple of steps to, you know, provide that, that secondary defense. And he isn't a very advanced passer. I'll, I'll put it that way. So finding Jared Allen isn't the easiest place. So it's funny. It's like a, a two-sided coin with him. I don't know quite where he yeah. fits. 
Yeah, I think that you just see the talent and the raw ability where it's like he needs to learn to put it together and that basketball IQ needs to take that next step. And it's like if you could combine him with Lance Thomas, that'd be great because like <laughs> you can see Thomas like has some smart, heady plays. But I don't know. It felt like he got beat to the spot by Aaron Gordon about like six times early in the game, just right in the low post. And it's like, you know, I, you don't even have to like play Aaron Gordon pressing to the three-point line. So how are you allowing him to beat you so easily and just getting those easy shots and what do you have, like two fouls early in the game? Like you said, like – I, I hate to be out on a guy so early, but it just doesn't seem like he has the athletic ability that he used to have. I know he had two like major knee injuries his last like few seasons in New York. Probably an impact on him there. But who's the next player you guys want to dive in? You guys want to talk Karis LeVert? Um, I was going to say Joe Harris, but we could do Karis LeVert. I'm always <laughs> that. Um, Karis, I thought, was, was really good tonight. Obviously, as we sort of alluded to earlier, when he was blitzed, you know, obviously the decision making he had there, obviously he had a, a sorry, I'm saying obviously, like, had four turnovers uh, to go with only seven, to go with seven assists. So he can only do so much. The 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 responsibility for him on the floor tonight is absolutely immense on the offensive end, and he has been poor defensively, um, to put it lightly. Um, I uh, and it's it's hard because how much of it is because. He's Hanging just, out with Jamal Crawford too much. <laughs> yeah, he's just he's just garnering so much of that offensive burden and just you know wasting so much energy, not wasting, but using so much energy on that end of the floor. And he looked good, like you know that mid-range game, his footwork. You know, I know that um, we've all been fans of it. You know, he's now becoming somewhat of a three-level scorer, but I still am iffy about that three-point shot because he didn't hit any of them. You know, his stat line, 17 points, seven assists, two rebounds, seven to 17 from the field, 0-4 from three, but did get to the line four times, hitting three of them. So it was, wasn't was his best game. You know, I thought that the Magic and, and uh, Steve Clifford uh, made a, the right decision to just blitz him really early on and, and make other guys beat him. And the Nets don't have other guys to beat the Orlando Magic. But uh, disappointed in, in the defense because we all see that potential. But um, I'm, I'm getting more skeptical by the day that we're ever going to see it come to fruition. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm going to echo that here. So, so I, I've, the, you know, this, is this my first? I feel like I've only thrown out hot takes. But I'll throw out another, <laughs> all right? Um, I think wrote about this in my uh my mailbag column that i think three people read and um <laughs> yeah, two of us here and then someone yeah. else on <laughs> one of them was my mom but yeah <laughs> um <laughs> but no i i said this in my mailbag column from a couple days back as it turns out people don't want to read mailbag columns on a team that would win like 19 games in a regular regular season but um you know i i said like I don't know how much we're going to learn about Karis LeVert in terms of what he looks like on next year's Nets team. Yeah. And I feel more strongly about that than ever. Um, the two things that I think he's really, really going to need to have, you know, really show up are going to be ability to shoot off the catch because that's been a bit of a sticking point for him. And defense, you're going to need to insulate Kyrie Irving, who, yes, he he's a high-effort defender in certain situations, but he is undersized like many point guards, star point guards in this league. So that's my issue with him, and I don't know when we're going to get a feel for that because of how much he's responsible for in terms of scoring and getting his teammates involved. It's a very tricky situation, and it's nothing... It's not his fault, really, at all. But I just don't know what I'm going to learn so much in terms of what it's going to look like next year. 
Now, if they use him as like a guy that can run the offense when Kyrie and KD sits and, and flash that mid-range game, then yes. But it's those minutes where he's going to be sharing the floor with those guys where I'm like, I just want to see something. Because right now watching him not really guard Evan Fournier in transition and, and get lost on screens is like, it's it's hurting my eyes a little bit. <laughs> And he's, excuse me, he's gambling a lot too for steals. There was one play in yeah. James Ennis that was just like, Ennis did travel, but still like, Levert, you don't really need to do that because you were in a good situation. You just gambled yep. an empty bucket. And I agree. I think it's just like, you know, even in the Spurs scrimmage, we saw some good defensive plays. And then today we didn't see really any good defensive plays from Karras. Some of it, like you mentioned, Jack, I think is the workload, but some of it is just like having the will. And I just think he gets a little bit lazy when it comes to screens. Like he's a guy that I think can fight over screens and use that length to kind of wiggle over them. But instead, he'll just kind of take the easy route and go under. You know, if you know that something can he's going to do, maybe try to hide him a little bit, especially in Orlando with, you know, having such a big offensive load. But I agree too, Matt, in the sense that we're not going to really learn anything about Levert because he's never going to be in a situation next season if he's on the team where he's having to worry about a blitz or multiple defenders waiting for him, where it's going to be more of like, hey, how can I play off KD? How can I play off Kyrie? And he's he's not good at that. Like, I'm, I'm going to say this. He has shown that his skill set, we've said it a million times, anyone who watches the Brooklyn Nets and Kyrie Levert play, he's not a great off-ball player. Yes, we know he can cut yes we know he can shoot a catch and shoot three but his numbers are better when he has the ball in his hands it's plain and simple but can we get to joe harris now yes have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 options every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use offer code BACKBOARD or DealDash.FM slash BACKBOARD. That's DealDash.FM slash BACKBOARD. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds and prop bets to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, BetOnline sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and Robert Horry. See what they had to say what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Let's get to Joe Harris. Um, <clears throat> excuse me again. Uh, we got to see Joe explore that mid-range game. Matt, what'd you think of Joe today? I love that shot for him. Uh, he, he, you know, again, like he's he's proved at this point. He's he's showed and proved that he at least is willing to go up in the trees. So for him to show that mid-range game, it's nice. I mean, look, if there's any takeaway I have on Vaughn, it's that he's letting guys do that. And again, as the league grows and grows and grows and progresses and, and fluctuates in terms of size and all this stuff. I do think things like the mid-range and playing out of the post a little bit, maybe not so much scoring, but in terms of finding teammates, that stuff is going to come back. You know, what goes around comes around. So I like to see that for Joe Harris, um, make himself even more of a modern day player because he was already the leader of the three-point movement. Why not add that to him? I liked it. Uh, defensively, you know, there were, he, he, he competes, but 
he's always going to have a little bit of a, a lacking in terms of foot speed, but offensively, yeah, it was it was a good uh, it was a nice little Joe Harris showing. Yeah, not nice game from him. Effective from the field, six of eleven, two of six from three. Uh, I had four rebounds and a couple of dimes too, so I ended up with fourteen points. Uh, I thought he looked spectacular <laughs> in the headband, the tan, the shaggy hair. Mentioned this on the scrimmages. Need to keep mentioning. He's looking great. Um, and he, he played quite well. I thought he was the best, if not one of the best, uh, Brooklyn Nets players tonight. Obviously, he competes more than, than other guys, but he lacks the you know, the, the general athleticism and wingspan that a lot of other guys do to sort of really make an impact on the defensive side of the floor. I'm, I'm liking the, the v- v- versatility and variety to his offensive skill set. You know, just to add little things here and there. And as Matt sort of alluded to, I think that the most important time when the mid-range shot is really prevalent is in the playoffs and in postseason basketball when teams like the Milwaukee Bucks who we seem very, very likely to head up against. Uh, it's almost a guarantee <laughs> now if we do make the God playoffs, uh, for that matter. <laughs> they give that shot to you. So if Joe's hitting it, then he's going to hit those shots. And I think that you're forced to guard and then it opens up different spaces in the floor. So um, I thought that we're seeing some growth from Joe Harris as, from just not being that pure spot-up guy, that pure guy who, who drives straight line. Um, I thought it was a, a really nice game from him. Yeah, I agree. I think it's he's getting kind of closer. He's not there yet, obviously, to a J.J. Redick who can, like, float off shots. But the ability just to take advantage when somebody's overplaying him at that three-point line and able to get that elbow jumper, which seems like something he's comfortable with, it'll be a big factor next year if he's still on the team. Obviously, we already know he has a great complementary skill set, but continuing to add to that and make yourself a little bit better. And like you guys said, defensively, he's never going to be an elite guy. He's going to compete, but he's just going to lack the athletic tools to really, you know, lock somebody up. But do you guys think Joe should look for a bigger offensive load next game given the rest of the roster um no because i i think that i've done i've done this so many times where i'm like God, i want you know joe to take more shots i want him to start playing like jj reddick and do one foot at threes uh i'm okay with what he is you know at, at some point you kind of a guy was going to play within his comfort zone if that's what joe's comfortable with with being like literally the most efficient shooter in the league or damn near it um i can't be mad about that you know he might be a little bit closer to a Corver or, or somebody like that than one of these J.J. Redick type of guys who, I mean, some of the shots, by the way, not to get off too much of a tangent, but some of the shots that J.J. was taking in, <laughs> in that first game, like, that's Joe Harris not going to take that shot. <laughs> 35 three-foot three-pointer, that's just not going to happen, and I'm, I'm at peace with that. So, no, I mean, I don't want him to stretch himself too much because I think we saw what that looks like in, like, January, uh, about that time, maybe even December. I, I'm, I'm fine with what he's doing. Let some of the other guys take shots. Yeah, I mean, if we see the return of Jamal Crawford, we, we could likely see, you know, a bit of an offensive burden, you know, go towards there a little bit or an offensive load, so to speak. I think he could certainly take a couple more shots. I think that, you know, he needs to have that confidence in himself to be able to take 15 shots consistently, you know, through the period where he was, you know, one of the Nets' most important players when they had so many guys out. You know, he was running the offense. He was, I obviously think, to the to the Bulls game is the one that sticks out the most as point guard Joe. But I think he can take it up a little bit. But like Matt was saying, you know, there's only so much of a ceiling that we have for a guy like Joe Harris. I think that he isn't a finished product, and I think that he's only going to continue to grow. And you look at J.J. Redick, who's 35 years old now, and is continuing to still do things that are, you know, just unheard of for a 35-year-old uh, of his sort of size and, and experience. So I think Joe is going to continue to grow. Uh, I don't expect that a burden and uh, increased responsibility to be that much greater. I think that it needs to be sort of spread across the roster. 
let me yeah. ask you this real quick. Do you think with his frame he can do? Because I think it's part of the advantage, like the same way that Chioza will be able to like scoot around a screen but can't necessarily guard like a giant point guard uh, like a Michael Carter-Williams. Um, in the same way that that works, like size works, if you're actually a little bit smaller for J.J. Redick, that he can pirouette and do these spinning shots. Do you know, I don't I don't know if I'm confident in Joe being able to make that part of his game just because he's such a strong, burly man. <laughs> I think we know that the the burliness is a, is a great adjective and a, a very sort of sexy adjective to describe uh, <laughs> a very a very sexy man like Mr. Joey Headband Harris. I I don't think he has the athletic tools to be a JJ Redick like Matt was sort of talking about. He doesn't have that quickness and and slide of frame and slide of foot, but he has those other assets that jo, that JJ Redick doesn't have in terms of the strength and the ability to sort of drive uh, with a bit more of purpose. He loves that sort of reverse shot. So he knows his own limitations and where he can go and where he can grow. So I think that we can't necessarily keep wanting him to be JJ when he can be a hybrid Corver JJ sort of uh, that, that sort of style. But he's also his own guy because if he's taken these mid-range shots as well, he's only going to keep increasing his own uh, worth within the Brooklyn Nets system and outside of that as well. Yeah, I agree. I think like you can't expect him. He's he's never going to be a guy that can shoot like JJ in terms of like the floating and going all these weird directions. But I think he can probably become that three level scorer. Where well, JJ is probably more of a two level scorer with the mid range and three, and then try to take advantage of that other aspect of his game, like you mentioned, Matt, having that extra strength, having that good frame, especially when you're typically a guy that when Katie and Kyrie are out there, they're going to probably throw the worst defender on you. So there might be times where people are overplaying, and you could take advantage of that and kind of continuing to score. But I don't think he'll ever be quite as nimble as some of those guys. It's almost like dancer-like what J.J. Redick does. Sure, and what he can make up ground, though, with the mid-range game. And we already know he can finish in the trees. So, yeah, maybe he won't be able to shoot, you know, 10 threes a game. But, like, yeah, I think he can get maybe in terms of number of field goals, he can he can get there because he's a little bit – I mean, it's funny saying this. He's a little more well-versed than either of Korver or J.J. Redick. So he can make up ground in different ways. It's a very – he's a very unique, you know, catch-and-shoot type of guy at least how you typically think about him because he does have a little bit he's got a little more than that yeah the finishing ability i think is something that really sticks out especially for someone who's not like godly athletic you know what i mean typically yep. you're not a great finisher unless you're seven feet tall or you can just finish around the room with a great touch but joe just does it like in such a fundamental way he just takes the right angles you know takes the contact in the proper way or if he gets that one step he understands about putting the you know the opposing player on his hip or shoulder but talking to another guy who's looked really comfortable and just probably taking that next step in his game, and it really stuck on the first quarter, the rest of the game, not so much, but Jared Allen. Um, yeah, I mean, look, like, the thing for me, I, I just so, I, 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 I don't know if I, I was, I tried to put out a thought like this, I don't remember how you even did it, but it's always a good sign when he's crashing the offensive glass mm. from the jump, because his, like, we know what he can be, but I think so much of it is a confidence thing. And whenever he's crashing the offensive glass, that always tells me, oh, I think Jared Allen's feeling himself a little bit. Like, he's like, you know what? I'm better than Bucevic, who is an all-star. Yeah. Like, I can I can play up to this guy. And I, he was the best player on the floor for that entire first quarter. I truly believe that. Yeah, he was dominant. It was too bad that he only scored four points and ended up with only five total rebounds. Did have three dimes. I think that he's... He's passing and, and sort of, you know, outside of the what in, in the sort of pick and roll game, I think he's 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 growing more adept there. But uh it, it was a little bit disappointing that he wasn't able to maintain that impact. I think that 
obviously the the Magic's bigs have you know they're, they're really good. You know, Ken Birch is a backup guy. You know, Nikola Vucevic is an all-star, like Matt was sort of talking about. Uh, I want Jared Allen to continue to stay confident, continue to always just crash the glass, crash the glass, because at the end of the day, it's easy points for him, and he needs to realize that he has a wingspan, that he can get offensive possessions for us that we probably shouldn't be having, because um, we, when you have a guy that is as long and as athletic as he is, we need him to bring that on a consistent basis, and he brought it for 12 minutes. Uh, we need it for 48. Yeah, I feel like uh, Billy Reinhardt brought this up on Twitter, that if he could get some of that Tyson Chandler where he's just constantly trying to tip out rebounds because he's so tall and lanky and has that like springy step to him, I think that'd be a big aspect. And I feel like a lot of Jared Allen's production was kind of correlated to Karis Avert in that pick and roll where they had to pick their poison. But then when Orlando was able to eliminate that, you know, Jared was not getting the same role. Or even when he was running pick and roll with Chris Gioza, they didn't respect Gioza's offense enough to, you know, press him. And they were just focusing on Jared Allen. So I will say, though, I really like that little, like, touch hook slash floater. I don't know really what to call it from Jared Allen. Where he's not quite. sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Where he's not quite at the rim, but it's just something he's looking more comfortable with. At times in the past where he'd get frazzled when he had the ball. Where this year, even just in like the scrimmages in this one game, he's looked a lot more comfortable. But I agree with Matt too in the extent where when he looks confident and like he looks aggressive, it's usually going to be a good game. I feel like just the the Magic did a nice job of kind of taking him out of the game and no other net was able to kind of set Jared Allen up to be in the spots he needed to be because at the end of the day, being a big, unless you're one of these elite guys in Carl Anthony Towns or Joel Embiid or, you know, Nikola Jokic, you're not really going to be able to create your own shot. And there wasn't really enough creation for Jared Allen to get those looks. And also, moving forward, I think Jared Allen will be a big part of the Nets offense in terms of that short role if he can make the right passes. Because like Jack mentioned, teams are going to be blitzing Karras the rest of this, you know, bubble. What do you guys like from Chris Gioza this game or didn't like? Didn't love the shooting. Um <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought it was a bad matchup for him in terms of like how big those guards are. So that part was a little bit tough to watch. I mean, the you know, the passing is always going to jump out with him. But, you know, I do realize like if, if a lot of his NBA future, it depends on if he's able to make threes. And even, you know, especially if he's left open like he was early in the game when the Nets were really playing well, um, there was a shot, I believe it was in the corner where he had like, he had all day to shoot that thing, and it was, like, off the second it left his hand. Um, he has not been historically a super high-level three-point shooter, and it was always my biggest worry with him was, you know, what were those those three-point numbers in the G League legit? Um, is he going to be able to maintain what he was doing in March? And uh, it's something to keep an eye on with him. But, I mean, the stuff that we know about Chris Chioza continues to be true. And, you know, some of the stuff that we were worried about actually has is, is flared up a little bit. Yeah, it's weird. I, he It seems like he just lost the ability to create his own shot and make shots. And it's not like it's the it's something that he wasn't able to do in the regular season when he was sort of filling in due to injury. He was able to, you know, create on the drive a little bit, be shifted down low. But he's made, like, five shots, it feels like, over the scrimmages and only made one shot tonight. So... You know, there is little, and this sounds a bit harsh, but there's little to no value for a guy who's five foot ten, five foot eleven, and an absolute sieve because of that on the defensive end, and can really his highest value is passing the ball. You know, I, I get that passing is uh, is is a, is a certain skill that is uh, important in basketball, but in terms of what this team needs, we need guys to, to be able to make shots, and you know, it's a, it's a make or miss league. Yeah, I agree. I think that this getting to a point where it's like, 
you know, it's hard to keep him on the floor at certain times because if he's not making a shot and giving the rest of the, you know, players out there, it's hurting the offense so much because there was points where DJ Augustine just like literally didn't respect him. Like Matt mentioned, he had that wide open look in the corner. It wasn't his only wide open look, and it's not one of the only wide open looks he turned down during this game. And defensively, he was getting beat. And even he got beat by DJ Augustine a couple times, a guy that yeah. – physically he should be able to match up with where it's like, yeah. Hey, Michael Carter Williams or Markel Folds, they got size and strength on you. It's hard to ask you to stay in front of them, especially down low. But like DJ Augustine's a guy that is in your weight range that you should be able to kind of keep up with. So I think ideally like Chioza just obviously we all know that he's not a starting level NBA point guard, but I don't even know if it makes sense to start him moving forward because of how much it has an impact. His passing is good. His playmaking is good, but it's not at a high enough level where it covers up for his other negatives. The thing that, like, so look, if you're going to have a guy like Chioza on the roster where teams are literally ignoring you in the corner, uh, you might as well get someone, If I mean, look, if your point guard is going to be ignored in the corner, can at least be, like, a really top-end defender. Yep. <laughs> you know, I threw out a exactly. list of names. Chris Dunn. Uh, yes. In the second, who is awesome in very limited minutes. Um, Javon Carter and Phoenix, who didn't have as good of a defensive year, but has been better, in, in especially in Memphis the year before. Like, there, there are a list of guys that... If you're planning to roll out the Kyrie Karras um, backcourt next year, it would be really nice to have somebody that can, you know, hide those guys or, or make up for those guys' deficiencies on defense a little bit. So I don't know what it looks like for Chioza. This is the first time where I've been like, you know what, man? Like, I don't know if he's not shooting the three ball, even if he is making the three ball. Like, that if he's one of your guards, that's like three guards that I'm, and I'm sorry, I feel so weird to include Karis in this, or or I guess Spencer too in the mix, where it's like, I don't know if any of these guards are like really, really top end defenders, and he's actually really weak. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a problem. If you want to be a championship team, you're just going to get exposed. You know yep. what I mean? There's just going to be, they're just going to attack those guys. They're going to go after it every single game and every single game of the series. And it's going to be hard for you to win, or it's going to put an excessive amount of pressure on your front court. So well, you, I, 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 was go ahead, gonna, I was just going to say, Nick, sorry to butt in. You look at the top three teams in, in the league right now, and all of them have some form of elite defensive guard in their roster. You know, the Lakers, Danny Green, you know, Caruso does some nice defensive things. Avery Bradley if he was there and KCP's a good defender too you know the Lakers uh, the Clippers obviously have Patrick Beverly who is a stud on that end of the floor uh, and the Bucks George Hill is awesome Eric Bledsoe has been great defensively the Nets are going to be very weak there if they don't you know really sort of look for a guy and uh, I will say it again and I'll say it till my uh, voice is, is hoarse that uh, Nets Chris Dunn make the call I mean, it could be something that's out there. They might have to work out a sign and trade because of it being a restrictive free agent or whatever it might be and obviously live in their cap space. But defensive, defensively, the guards definitely have to pick up next year. But uh, talking about another guard, veteran on the team, Garrett Temple, not necessarily an amazing game for him. What do you guys think about him? Um, I, I mean, look, like... He's Garrett Temple. <laughs> he's Garrett Temple. I, I've, I don't think I've ever had a, a Garrett Temple takeaway, ever, in my whole life. I never have, and I, I don't know when that's going to change. Look, man, he, like, he fights around screens pretty well. Like If, if you run a flare on him, um, he's going to compete and get around it. He's not necessarily the quickest player, so it may not make a difference, but he knows what he's doing out there. It's just uh, <laughs> the ceiling isn't all that high. So I don't know. I mean, he's, he's Garrett Temple. 
Yeah, Eves on Twitter was calling him the worst player on the Nets roster. I was skeptical. I, was I don't skeptical. know about that. There's a lot of competition right now. <laughs> I'm the bubble roster? Come on, bro. Like, there's guys that shouldn't even be in Orlando. <laughs> exactly. So I was definitely skeptical of that. It wasn't his best game. I think that we talked about in some of the scrimmages what we sort of wanted out of him, hitting a few threes, sort of being a, a real sort of support role for, you know, Kyle Silver needed some support, needed a guy with the ball in his hands to sort of create for other guys and create for himself. He was not able to do that. He made little to no impact on the floor. You know, three points, one of five from the field, and then he did hit one three. Uh, he had a couple of rebounds, and he had one dime, and did have three turnovers. So he did, it was not a good game for Garrett Temple. Um, we we analyzed uh, sample size here of one game portions on the buzz very regularly so based <laughs> off this one game it was not a good performance from Temple but I expect him to, to pick it back up against the, the Wizards in our next performance and we need him to because he's one of our actual NBA caliber players in this roster so he needs to step up yeah, and I think one of the issues here is just like another guy who's a complimentary player is asked to be in a bigger role. Like there was a couple instances where he tried to go after Jonathan Isaac and it's just like, you know, Jonathan Isaac is one of the best defenders in the league. Garrett Temple, you're not going to be able to do anything with that. And then you kind of look at him and they're like, well, no one else is doing offense. So I guess like Temple, maybe that's the best thing you can do. So it's going to be tough to gauge him here with just the talent on the roster. He's more of like the back end of your rotation. Maybe somebody who's not even a backup, but somebody that fills in when there's an injury. But Rodion's, we kind of talked about a little bit earlier you know it showed some of those flashes i thought he had a you know that deep three and then he also had a really nice jo- uh, drive on jonathan isaac and kem birch later in the game i also thought his rebounding was really good i'm really liking the energy that he's brought back there you know he's being sneaky on the offensive boards and being and just getting he's he's using that leap like he's got some spring about him so when uh, he did obviously lead the that uh, was I think second in rebound. No, he'd let he'd led the team, team rebounding with, with six. swapping six. Oh, <laughs> wow, sheesh. That is a disappointing start. <laughs> um, uh, I didn't want to necessarily say that after hopefully the Washington Wizards game, but I, I thought he was really good. I, I sort of made the points earlier we spoke about, you know, the value that he provides on the offensive end and obviously at the five, hopefully uh, Matt, do you think that he should start the next game against the Washington Wizards at that four? Um, I, I'm like looking this up. I can't believe he really let, yep, there you go. Six. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, I, I guess like, I don't know. Cause I just don't know if I can watch another defensive performance like that. And if like the differences between, uh, you know, between him having a couple less driving lanes versus like, they're going to get scored on abysmally because either Lance Thomas or, or Timothy Luabo Cabarro, is out there, then yeah, throw him in there. I mean, I, I, he's he, as as uh, Nick said, like you want to have your best five guys there. It'll be interesting with Rodion's. I feel like I would just play him out there and see what he can do. At this point, like you might even have to play him thirty minutes because he's that much better than the next guy, or at least he yep. has somewhat of a modern NBA four body. Where it's not like I'm not saying he's polished in any way, but at least he has some of the measurements and his athleticism can make up for some of those mistakes. And he can provide you like some type of spark where it's just like the other guys are just have such big negatives. Like we talked about Lance Thomas being so slow, you know, 
TLC is not a four, not in any era of the NBA. And Justin Anderson doesn't have any type of offensive game. So Rodion's is the only guy you can really look to to give you somewhat of a competent starting lineup. And I'd like to see him out there next to Jared Allen just to see what they can do. And maybe playing so much time at the five has helped him in terms of being like a weak side rim protector or just helping a little bit because we saw a lot today, especially when uh, Jared Allen was like sucked to Nikola Vucevic at the three-point line. There was no rotation underneath. Maybe that's an area that Rodion's can kind of develop and use some of his time at the five. With that, um, I almost felt like you should you should uh, you should maybe just have Jared Allen just stay in the paint and like yeah. run drop coverage at all costs because I that that was troubling. They just don't have a secondary rim protector right now, and they're I'm, I hate to say this, they're probably not going to get one <laughs> unless Rodion suddenly evolves in the most crazy way possible. So I I think scheme is probably going to have to be the thing that they change. Like they can switch around these rotations, but I thought the biggest thing that was lacking defensively was scheme, and and that's a great example of that. Yeah, and I think also it's just like how much can Jacques Vaughn do given the time yep. like that he has with the the pieces that he has, and it's not like we're talking about NBA veterans who've ran through a whole bunch of NBA schemes. Like this is probably one or two, or you know they're just not very well versed in that area. So it'll be interesting. What do you guys think of Tyler Johnson? Got off to like a pretty good start, kind of cooled off a little bit with the shooting, but he's kind of as advertised. Yeah, um, uh, one thing before I do get into Tyler Johnson a little bit, Nick was. One thing that stuck out was a comment from Garrett Temple the other day where he was sort of saying that the no crowds is really sort of showing now the lack of communication and leadership that the Nets have on the defensive end. I think that's one thing that they are missing tremendously in the absence of DeAndre Jordan because you have Jared Allen, who is meager. You have Rodion Skouritz, who is a second-year player. And those are the guys that are sort of you know, headlining uh, the defensive end. So they've really got to step up on that end of the floor. We know that they both have talent, but they really need to start leading and hopefully, you know, bringing their voice uh, as a real tool too. But yeah, Tyler Johnson, I thought, you know, uh, he is one of the better players on this roster. He's continuing to, to bring, obviously not necessarily the most efficient game for him, but did get to the line a lot and hit all of his free throws, which is not something we normally say about the Brooklyn Nets. So that's that's kind of fun. Also brought the passing game a little bit, you know, 11 points, four assists for him. Did have a couple of rebounds, two of eight from the field. So not necessarily totally efficient. Uh, one of eight, one of four, sorry, from three. But I think he's going to continue to bring something to this roster. And I'll continue to echo the sentiments that I brought uh, in previous games that I think he can be a nice, deep rotation minimum guy uh, going forward for the Brooklyn Nets. And that includes in hopefully next season. Did you guys watch him defensively a ton? Because I admittedly didn't. Uh, I really, uh, other than towards the game. I tried not to watch the Nets defense. <laughs> <laughs> I, it was like a... I don't know. It was <laughs> it's like a, um, I don't even know what to call it. Just a complete disaster, a train wreck. And I it couldn't just stop felt looking. Like every single guard on the roster got caught on screens. Like nobody could get over a screen. Yeah. You mentioned Garrett Temple got over a couple, but then because he doesn't have the foot speed, he wasn't able to recover. So it's just like he was part of the problem too. It's just like everybody was just like getting like sucked into the screen. Like Nikola Vucevic is a solid screener, but there's no reason you should be lost and not able to get over any of his screens or you know fight to a point where you could at least force one offensive foul or something. It was just like eh I so I think that's my thing with Tyler Johnson is he's going to fill a role for this team and I think we're going to continue to see strong output for him um and how many shots did he take I don't have the numbers uh, eight, eight field goals, uh, eight field goals. Yeah. so it, next what does that look like in a in a year I'm so what right now I guess I'll boil it down to this I'm waiting for the time when Tyler Johnson isn't shooting the ball well because right now he's shooting the hell out of the ball and 
what does that look like? Like, what? How is he imprinting the game? I think that's what I'm waiting for right now with him. But I mean, this. I look. He can. He can create his own shot. The one thing I will say that's really nice about him that isn't just me being like, hey, I'll wait for. <laughs> I'll wait till he's slumping. Is I like that he gets to the line. I do yeah. like that a lot. So. But, and he's willing to try to like make something out of nothing if they throw him the ball at like the end of the shot clock. He'll try to create something. I'll yep. say like he's probably looked more spry like in terms of his movements in comparison to what I saw in like Phoenix or even at the end of Miami where he wasn't healthy. So maybe there's a little bit of hope he can improve defensively. I wouldn't like you know bet any money on it or anything like that. But given that he's moving a lot better offensively, hopefully that can kind of turn over to the defensive end. Yeah. I think he's craftier and smarter than I probably imagined as well. And I think a lot of that is probably his motivation is probably quite high. But he does, you know, obviously the offensive end is, is where he's providing a lot of value. But the Nets need any, any level of defense, and, and that includes from him because we have so many damn guards that at least one of them has to play defense, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> right? You're well, supposed to. <laughs> uh, but talking another, I guess he's really a guard. The Nets are playing him at forward. Uh, TLC. Was this his career high with 24 points? In 22 <laughs> minutes as well. Gosh. Is that really what he finished with? He I finished with 24, five that's threes amazing. after he didn't, he didn't, what, he hit two, three, uh, two threes in the scrimmages? Oh, my goodness. Um, That is absolutely ridiculous if I'm being honest. <laughs> uh, I have literally nothing to add to that. I mean, look, man, like, I I, I don't know. I, I was, you know, I've kind of been in the camp of like, hey, um, if this guy hits threes, I think that's his lifeline into the league yeah. because he's he's a good defender. He's not, you know, he, I, he's playing out of position right now. But if you if you play him at the two or the three, um, or whatever the wing position, um, you know, he's he's got good length. He stays with guys. He's a nice little point of attack defender that you know you can deploy on on certain guards. And I, I like that about him. But if he's not shooting the three ball well, I mean, I don't know what else he does other than play. He plays aggressive in transition. It doesn't always end up being the most fruitful. Um, <laughs> yeah, he lacks the like the vert, uh, the vert. Like he just doesn't have the hops to like finish no on layups. He's got no speed, even on yeah. defense. He's just got no like no zip to him whatsoever. His first step is slow. So in a lot of ways, like I was looking, like his finishes around the rims, that the, the ones that look, you know, really good are spectacular. But if you actually look at his numbers off drives, they're really low. I think he's shooting somewhere in the 20s or 30s off drives, which is really not good. You want to be really closer to that, like high 40s, 50, even 55-ish mark off drives. So it's, you know, it's, he kind of is, he's literally a 3 and D guy. (laughs) He is cookie cutter 3 and D guy. Yeah, credit where credit's due. He had five of them tonight, five of eight from the arc. And that's insane. That is a, a truly great game and truly, whether this is an anomaly compared to the three scrimmage games, possibly. But, you know, you take it when you get it. You know, the Nets needed guys to hit threes. And, you know, we only hit 13 of them, 13 or 42 from there. And five of them came from TLC. Uh, I know Nick and I gave him uh, quite a lot of gruff, quite a lot of criticism in, in the scrimmage one. So uh, I've been forced to eat my own words, but I'm happy to. If he keeps doing this, I'll take it. But uh, I, I hopefully other guys can step up. You know, it was probably his best game as a Brooklyn Net. Uh, I thought that he did a lot of good things. And, you know, plus 14, 24 points, uh, you're going to take it any day of the week. It's going to be, you know, I thought that it was going to be a relatively easy breakdown, but it's going to probably take a little bit of time to go through it. He, he, And I, I will say this, I was listening to Zach Lowe's pod earlier in the week, I think it was, and he, 
Zach seems to know everything about everyone in the NBA, and I don't know how, but he's just he made just the very sort of salient point where it's just like, you know, this season I think uh, TLC shot about 36% from three. If he can do that consistently for the rest of his career, he's going to be in the NBA. Again, it is, we've spoken about maybe with every uh, every player on this roster, if they can shoot the three, they're going to be an NBA player. And TLC, that is, it's either sink or swim, and that three ball is whether he's swimming or not. Especially yeah. for this small Nets roster where it's like all yep. guards and forwards, like you or, or small forwards, I should really say, mostly shooting guards, really. Um, it's, just shooting guards, yeah. it's just a ton of shooting guards. Yeah, if you if you're gonna be at that position, man, you got to shoot threes because you know defensively, there's I think only so much of a ceiling unless you're like really really next level elite. Yeah, I feel like he's he's the three and D, but he's got like the average defense and probably a slightly below average three point shot where he needs yeah. to get that to a higher level if he wants to. He's like a make... two and a half and a C and a C. Two and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Sounds <laughs> like me in college. <laughs> but uh, what did you guys in terms of the the rest of the roster, uh, in terms of the sort of the bench guys when things came out and somehow the Nets were like, oh, okay, let's bring it down to ten or twelve points. But what did you think when uh, that was happening? And, you know, we got the the likes of Justin Anderson, uh, the Musa train, Dante Hall had some... He didn't miss. The man didn't miss. Um, what did you think? Of, and obviously, Jeremiah Martin um, was positive too. What did you think of the the bench squad uh, contributing and, and making this a respectable scoreline at the very least? The G League Nets. The G League Nets. <laughs> Um, I thought Dante, I mean, look, so this is, I'm going to disclaimer, I was setting up my streaming stuff when, I, when they were playing, which is like, I, of course that is, you know, knowing the nets, of course they, they make a little mini comeback and look great for a few minutes. Um, Dante Hall was the guy that stuck out to me. I mean, he's just a ball of energy. He really is. Uh, I, I love guys that chase after offensive rebounds. Like it's their last chance of getting into the NBA. Um, that's, I just, I don't know. There's something very like endearing about that there really is so he's chasing offensive rebounds there's a play where he went after one and he tried to like throw it off the body of one of the magic guards whoever was in at that point and uh i don't know if it actually went out of bounds but i thought he was a ball of energy he was a I, I, dare i say it um other than tlc just shooting the the cuff off the ball um he was the reason they kind of had that mini comeback yeah, he had a nice spark of energy. Like he literally came to the game and scored two baskets in thirty seconds. Like I was like, I was like, okay, well, this guy, he he just is a capable big that can finish a layup, which is like Jared Allen obviously can do that. Rodion doesn't really provide you that because he didn't have the size. And you mentioned on the boards and then trying to go after the loose ball. I was like, yo, at the very worst, like the Nets could play this guy. He did shoot pretty badly from the free throw line, but that's kind of expected from a big. I mean, I would probably give him minutes going forward just so you can have some type of NBA-level front court where you have some size and length to you where you're just not getting out-rebounded or bodied all the time. It'd be worth a try to give him some minutes in the future. So uh, I'll, I'll put it to you guys in that respect, Nick. You sort of alluded to it to the point. Do you play Dante Hall as a pure backup five behind Jared Allen and move Rodion on to his more natural four position? Matt, what do you think? Um, I, I mean, look, like it's a really s small sample, but why not? Like, it's not yeah. like they're going to win games. So <laughs> get crazy. Like, hey, we got the Wizards next. next. We got the Wizards next. I think that's probably going to be oh, the man. most important The best game. chance. It's oh, our man. only, hey, seven wow. and one. It, we, we, that's where we're, it kicks mind. off. But, Played uh, Nick, Nick Thomas, 48 minutes. Got to play that. <laughs> 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 that's Nick, a, that's Tom Thibodeau. That's not going to be us. No. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, I, I would do it. I would play him some backup minutes at the five. He doesn't have to take all the backup minutes at the five, but like he can get some of them at least because Rodion's body probably couldn't even handle playing the five the entire eight-game stretch or including the playoffs. So you need to have some type of resemblance of a real center. And obviously, he probably doesn't know the playbook. He doesn't really know his teammates, but he at least can give you some of the basic skills of rim running, you know, maybe some rim protection. I didn't really see him block any shots today. He had a and, block. He had a block. Oh, he did have a block? Okay. And yep. then also, <laughs> you know, at least activity on the boards where he can jump up and compete with the guys where it's not like you see TLC trying to reach up and grab a rebound from Nikola Vucevic and you know he has no chance where Dante Hall can at least get up there. And like Matt mentioned, I like the hustle play. He literally tried to throw the ball off somebody. He missed them. And and it bounced off so high, TLC ended up grabbing and passing to somebody else. Yes, thank you. I, I'm trying to remember what the, the play-by-play was. It was a was. weird play. It was a weird play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it was G League Nets. We got to see some bubble play like that. But, I mean, I don't really have any thoughts on Anderson Musa. Jeremiah Martin is a guy that's, like, kind of fun to watch, but he doesn't look like an NBA player. He at least plays really hard. Yeah, that's I perfectly said. Copy-paste. <laughs> What do you guys want to see for the starting lineup before we get out of here for next game? Oh man, um, I I've been saving this zone <laughs> defense. Put a little, play a little bit of zone defense because right now these guys have no idea how to play together. And I think if you simplify the, the the strategy a little bit and have guys just guard certain areas of the floor, you won't see all these situations where guys don't see screens coming. Um, they don't, you know, they don't try to switch on the fly and are like 20 million seconds late. So I would like to see of anything that coach Vaughn did this, this time around, um, look, the, the, the switching stuff looked great against the Lakers. They had a lot of vet guys that know at least ideally how to run something like that with Wilson Chandler and Deandre Jordan, who were so integral. And I know I'm talking about something from what March, it feels like a million years ago, but, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so I mean, for them, I actually think that playing a little bit of zone and dropping Allen because he's the only viable big there, um, I think that that is worth looking at. Offensively, continue to do what you guys are doing, and maybe if you stop a little bit of the bleeding on the other end with a simplified scheme, I think that could really work wonders for them. Yeah, get Rodion's uh, in that starting lineup for Lance Thomas, as we sort of alluded to uh, earlier and just then. And I would consider um, supplanting Chris Joseph for one of Temple or Johnson. Ooh. I think that one of those, both of those guys are playing better and are better basketball players than Chris Joseph. So if you want to have your five best guys out there in your starting lineup, especially against the Washington Wizards, you know where the it's your one true chance to to get a win and <laughs> extend the the, the playing sort of. Uh, proposal that could be happening. If, if you lose this, it's almost guaranteed that we probably do verse them in a, in a playing style game. Um, they'll obviously have to maybe with one or two other games, but we'll, we'll wait and see. So uh, I would consider it. I, I, I did say in the last pod that I think Chioza starting is fine, but if he's not hitting shots, then you know Temple can hit shots and Johnson uh, can hit. And, uh, it's probably his best skill right now, creating his own shot. Yeah, I agree with both points. I think you want to see Jared Allen around the rim because he gives you the only rim protection. And then he's also the only like good rebounder on the team. So you want to keep him around that area instead of getting him pulled out by Vucevic or wherever it might be or getting caught up on a switch. And the zone definitely could be an option. Depends on how confident Vaughn is in kind of implementing it with these guys and thinking they can run it. And then in terms of, I would definitely give Rodion Sanat starting. It doesn't mean he has to play all of his minutes with the starting lineup, but at least, you know, put your best five out there. 
And I'd probably do that too, Jack. I think I'd probably move Chioza to the bench and maybe start Tyler Johnson or Garrett Temple. You know, if you want a little bit more playmaking, which would make sense next to Karras because it seems like he's going to get a lot of double teams, Tyler Johnson might be a little bit more capable where Garrett Temple is just going to give you more of just like that complimentary skill. So it'll be interesting to see what Vaughn does going to the next game considering how bad they were beating this one. And obviously the talent difference between the Magic and Washington is uh, pretty big. I just looked up their roster. I should know this, but I, I had to look it up. And, uh, oh, man. <laughs> like, hey, Baz, baby, we're coming up. It's a revenge game. For Shabazz Napier is definitely scoring 25 on us next That's game. literally the first takeaway I had was, like, is Shabazz Napier going to go for 30? Because I could see that happening. <laughs> Otherwise, it's crazy. This is No one's going to go over a screen, so have plenty of open threes. Yeah, so. <laughs> it's a dream scenario for him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a big game for, I think, Jared Allen could probably go off. Thomas Bryant is a pretty good center, but I, I think Allen could really pop off in that game. And it'll be interesting to see how even, like, a bad team like Washington deals with Levert offensively. Like, are they going to send double teams, or are they just kind of be like, ah, eh, we don't really care? Maybe Isaac Bonga. Isaac Bonga's a pretty good defender, so they might He's put good. him on them. But, no, I think yeah. this is a, the Jared Allen point is important because, because uh, uh, you know, uh, Thomas Bryant is not a great defender, not a great yeah. protector. So, you know, if, I hope he takes it personally. Any last takeaways you guys want to get out there? Obviously, we just recorded a podcast on the Nets getting blown out. It was like 45 minutes, so I'm not sure if you have any more thoughts left. Uh, we are crazy people, and I can't believe we just spent that long. No, this is fun, though. I appreciate this. Uh, it is a goddamn honor to have Matty B on this pod <laughs> regularly, um, and I hope that going forward, I won't have to record podcasts from my bed. Uh, that is <laughs> what is happening when the Nets are playing at goddamn 4.30 a.m. In, in Melbourne time. So shout out to all the international Buzz fans, shout out to all the international Nets fans. We're the ones doing the true work out there. You guys got it easy in the afternoon and got the rest of your day. You got some other games to watch. I'm going to have to have a nap after this, my guys. <laughs> You've earned it, Jack. You've earned it. Matt, pleasure having you on officially as now the third star of the Brooklyn Buzz. Jack, always a pleasure. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, OTGBasketball.com, Netsblog.com, and Blue Wire Pods. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.